welcome to the DVAM Project. This is a limited run podcast throughout October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Welcome to the first episode of the DVAM Project. I'm Lexi Adams. And I'm Adam Schwartz. And we are graduate students at the University of Dayton. The purpose of this project is to create a limited run podcast for UD's Domestic Violence Awareness Month programming, which is coming out of the Brooks Center. And throughout this series, we're going to be addressing different facets of domestic violence throughout pop culture and the media, um, some facts about domestic violence, mm-hmm. providing some resources for support, and also talking about how you can take a stand against domestic violence. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about how pop culture in many ways has, in a sense, normalized uh, domestic violence. Um, although at this point, uh, I would like to let everyone know that we are advising a content warning. Some topics we'll be discussing while prevalent in pop culture could be sensitive in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So, um, domestic violence, um, I guess we're going to start here with the uh, definition of, um, is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. Uh, Domestic violence can also include children, parents, or the elderly. It is also worth noting that domestic violence can go by other names, sometimes called intimate partner violence, domestic abuse, or relationship abuse. So, um, anything else you want to add there, Lexi? No, I think you covered it all. Yeah, thanks for that definition. Yeah. Um, So most of the stereotypes um, that we really see of domestic violence, um, typically, at least in society, as we'll see in the news of a man physically abusing a woman. Um, For example... Uh, Chris Brown, Ray Rice, Johnny Depp, and others are kind of, in a sense, condemned by society for their actions. Um, recently, I guess you could say that we've kind of created this whole cancel culture um, out of what's happened in a lot of these cases. Um, but more often than not, we find that these exact same kinds of actions in pop culture um, and, po- and popular media are just kind of seen as part of the larger story. They're kind of seen as just, well, this is where the narrative takes precedence, so... If the woman had to get beaten or the guy had to get, you know, beaten in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, then by all means, it's part of a larger story. So we're going to look past this domestic violence and basically, you know, praise the art. Um, so today, Lexi and I are going to be talking about um, various ways that domestic violence has popped up in pop culture from the books of the 1920s to the TV shows of today. Yeah, sounds good. So... I can get us started talking about one of my favorite shows. Perfect. Um, how familiar are you with Grey's Anatomy, Adam? I, <laughs> I, I know that there are doctors. I know there is a McSteamy and a McDreamy, and both at this point, spoilers, I guess, have died in the show, and that's all I know. Perfect. So, I'm glad that you already knew they were dead because when you started to say they were there, I was like, "Oh, poor guy, I got to break his heart." <laughs> Um, I know one died in a plane crash and the other was, like, sick or something? Uh, plane crash, car accident. Oh, yes. okay. Yes, but anyway, so I've been watching Grey's Anatomy um, since it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch it every week with my best friend. We have Grey's Night, Girls' Night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not, not a completely unproblematic show, but I mm-hmm. think that sometimes they do a good job of, like, using their audience space and the power that they have as, like, the longest running medical drama to bring to light certain topics. Hmm. Um, So in season 14, they did a storyline about domestic violence. Hmm. Um, And then the episode in particular that I'm going to talk about is actually named after the national domestic violence hotline. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So the name of the episode is 1-800-799-7233. And it focuses on a character. Her name is Joe Wilson. Mm -hmm. And she has been at the hospital for a little while now. Mm -hmm. And she's working on this huge medical project with Dr. Mm -hmm. Meredith Gray, who's obviously important because her name's in the title of the show. Right. And uh, Meredith Gray was going to publish the work that her and Joe did. Mm -hmm. And Joe was like, oh my gosh, no, please don't. Mm -hmm. I previously was in a very abusive marriage and Joe Wilson is not my real name and mm. I'm in hiding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in true TV drama fashion, yes. you know, within just a couple of episodes, the abuser is now at the hospital. Right. Um, but he is there with his new fiance. Um, mm. And throughout the course of the episode, Joe continuously tries to get his new fiance, mm -hmm. um, Jenny, away from him so that mm -hmm. Joe and Jenny can sit down and talk so that Joe can be like, look, mm -hmm. I was in this situation. You know, mm -hmm. are you okay? Is he abusing you? Do you yeah. need help? Like, do you need help getting out of this? Mm -hmm. um, and when Joe is talking to her, she highlights how the abuse started. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of relates back to the cycle of abuse that happens. Mm -hmm. Um there's there's the honeymoon phase and then mm -hmm. a tension building phase mm -hmm. and then an abusive incident. But when Joe is talking about it, um, it never really went back to the um, abuse or back to the honeymoon phase after the abusive incident. Mm -hmm. It was like it was honeymoon phase, abusive incident, and then it never left there. Mm. So she talks about how it started small. He would make her feel like she was dumb. He started isolating her from her friends mm -hmm. um, until it finally got to a point where the abuse was so intense that she like had bruises all over her body. Mm. Um, but like he had learned, like they weren't visible anymore. It were in places where people couldn't uh, see them. Mm -hmm. um, and then he would abuse her and then apologize, but say it was her fault all in the same breath. Like, yeah. I'm sorry that you made me do this based on your actions and, and made her feel crazy. Um, so it really highlights a lot of the signs that the National Domestic Violence Hotline website identifies as um, signs that someone is an abuser. So some of those include like telling you that you can never do anything right mm. or showing extreme jealousy anytime you spend time away from your partner, yeah. um, discourages you from seeing other people, um, insulting you, controlling the money, mm -hmm. acts in some type of way that scares you. Um, tries to make decisions for you, prevents you from making your own decisions. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're good. So I really appreciated that they, like, brought to light all of these things. It's like, this may not necessarily seem right away like it's abuse, but it is. Mm, right. Um, and so then when Jenny is talking to Joe, she's like, yeah, you know, I, I experienced a lot of the same things, and by the time that he did hit me for the first time, it wasn't even a surprise. Um... So that was that was one of the instances. It wasn't necessarily that Grey's Anatomy normalized it, but like mm -hmm. there was not really a big conversation about the fact mm. that such a, a prominent show was yeah. bringing to light such an important topic. And it was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, it's just another episode of Grey's Anatomy. It wasn't like, wow, they addressed such a big topic or like, let's yeah. talk about this. Like, I'm pretty sure that more people talked about whatever sporting event was going on around that time than the fact that we were talking about a very intensely abusive relationship. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I think it just kind of speaks to the 
unfortunate, you know, normalization of domestic violence where you watch the episode and you're like, wow, that's that's so powerful. And you think to yourself, okay, well, yeah, next episode. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Interesting. Now, I would like to know if you've seen one of my favorite shows, which recently ended in a blaze of disappointment and sadness. Um, are you familiar with Game of Thrones? I I know it exists. Okay. And I know that it's over now. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about the show. That is okay. Um, so, for those who are listening, if you've seen Game of Thrones, great. If you've not, we're not going to get into the weeds whatsoever. Um, all you need to know going into this portion of the discussion is that Game of Thrones is probably one of the most complex fantasy dramas ever. Um, it's a very interesting show that, I mean, will be, will be praised down the road, I'm sure, for many, many years to come. But there's two characters in particular that I want to focus on. And those are the characters of Cersei and Jaime Lannister. Um, now, these characters are brother and sister. Um, I believe they were twins. Yes, they're twins. Um, and throughout the whole show, all eight seasons... Um, you find out at the finale or the end of the very first episode of the pilot that these two are an incestuous couple. Mm, um, fascinating. Which is a whole other level and is a whole separate podcast. Um, but you find out and through conversation and through context that they have been having this relationship pretty much their entire life. Um, however, it is not one that is, you know butterflies and rainbows as much as incest can be mm-hmm. um i think that's outlawed in most all the states right i maybe i maybe. don't know i don't know <laughs> it's not something i regularly look into ah me neither anyway um but throughout their whole relationship we see almost verbatim um what you talked about in Grey's anatomy of the mm-hmm. cycle of domestic violence mm-hmm. where when we first meet the characters um Everything is going their way. They're kind of in this honeymoon phase. It's a very interesting show where we don't see the man being the main abuser. We see the uh, woman being the main abuser. We see Cersei being this hmm. the main controlling force in this relationship. Um, Cersei is the uh, queen of the Seven Kingdoms, which is like our main setting for the show. Um... And throughout the show, she basically tries to maintain control until she becomes the only monarch left um, come the last two seasons. And Jamie is part of what's called the Kingsguard, where he is basically kind of like the Secret Service. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's always been in a subservient position his entire life. And she's always been in a position of control and of power. And throughout the show, we see them go in these kind of kind of ebbs and flows. There are portions of the show where Jamie is a prisoner of war for a season and a half, and then when he finally returns, she's like, "You left me. Oh, good. You abandoned me in our time of need." And he's like, "Well, I was at war." And she's like, "You could have fought back. You could have fought out of it, you know." And he kind of internalizes that and is like, "Yeah, you're right. I am a bad soldier, and I'm a bad." brother boyfriend slash 
Um, and then we see several times where Jamie tries to exert dominance over Cersei, but ultimately it always comes back to Cersei being the one in control. Right. Um, and there's a, a kind of defining moment at the end of season seven um, where Jamie finally decides, you know what? I am done. I am out of here. And he rides off to go join the good guys, um, quote unquote, mm-hmm. at this point in the show. And she threatens to kill him to leave if he leaves. Uh-huh. And he leaves. The threat was empty. Um, but even at the very end of the show, we see him. He basically decides that, you know what? I have no, none, no other love in my life. Mm-hmm. except that from Cersei. And as messed up as it was, she's like, I'd rather be with her than anyone else. And mm-hmm. it shows that level of control that she had mm-hmm. over Jamie, and that even when he's able to recognize and to verbalize, like, yes, she's hateful, and right. she is cruel, but she's all I have. Mm-hmm. When there are three other characters who express love and affection towards Jamie who throughout the show basically starts off as being like like this kind of swashbuckling jerk okay. to being this lovable, you know, kind-hearted guy at the end of the, the show. Um, and even at the end, he still, like, they die in each other's arms. And it's, and in my opinion, it gives this horrible relationship a bit of like a poetically happy ending of like, oh, they die in each other's arms. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely get that, but I think that that's how a lot of relationships end up, mm. um, where there's some type of abuse involved, because like you said, she had such an intense power over that person, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, in that power, like, you have the ability to control how they feel, um, right. and who they're surrounding themselves with, and, and what's going on in their mind, um, which, this is, we're not going to dive into this because I am not knowledgeable enough about it, but have you ever heard of the movie Gaslight? I have. Yeah, it's like this 1940s mm-hmm. black and white film. Yeah. Um, where this, ah, I wish I could remember all the details, but essentially this guy um, makes his partner start to believe that she's crazy by doing all of these things. And like, I can't remember exact examples from the movie because it's been so long since I've seen it, but like a real world one. Where, like, if I wanted to have power and control over you and make you mm-hmm. think that, like, you were crazy, like, you could leave your keys, like, right by the door. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take them and hide them. And then for, like, days, you're mm-hmm. like, I can't find my keys. What am I doing? What's mm-hmm. going on? And then I, like, put them back. And I'm like, oh, Adam, they're they're right here. What, are you, are you okay? Are you yeah. well? Is something wrong with you? And just, like, repeated behaviors like that over and over mm-hmm. to make you feel like you're not okay or, like, you're crazy mm-hmm. or, like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I need Lexi to tell me where my keys are all the time. Like, yeah. I, I need that person. And that's that's another interesting facet of, like, power and control that mm-hmm. you kind of made me think of when we were talking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the term gaslighting comes from. Huh. Well. Or did gaslighting already exist as a I, term <laughs> and the movie was made... <laughs> I think it already existed. Oh, uh, okay. That makes more sense. But, I mean, hey, maybe it is a chicken and egg situation. Hey, there you go. We can we can dive into that later. Yes. Yes. Maybe another maybe another podcast episode about gaslighting. There we go. 
So, um, there's a, I think another example mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we've had TV shows. Mm-hmm. We've had Game of Thrones, almost like this HBO level movie a week. Right. Um, but I think one medium that you and I both share mm-hmm. in the enjoyment of is books. Yeah. And one book in particular I want to focus on, kind of alluded to it, I mentioned books of the 1920s, mm-hmm. um, is The Great Gatsby. Yes, I love I love The Great Gatsby. Well, by all means, take it away. Okay, but just like to clarify, we're talking about like F. Scott Fitzgerald, not like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, even though I have the unpopular opinion of liking that version of the movie. Hey, I don't <laughs> mind Jay-Z being the music director. Anyway, yes, we're focusing strictly on the literary adaptation, or the literary story, not the movie adaptation. Okay, good. That's important to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so for folks that may not be as familiar with The Great Gatsby, I'm sure that many of us, you know, have had to read it at some point, Mm -hmm. um, for a class, but there are some main characters. So it's narrated by Nick Carraway Mm -hmm. and he is reintroduced to his cousin Daisy Mm -hmm. and her husband, Tom, and, Mm -hmm. um, Daisy and Tom are in a pretty abusive relationship, like pretty early on in the book, it talks about how... Um, Daisy's hand was bruised and, you know, Daisy said to Tom, like, oh, I know that you didn't mean to do this, but like, I wish you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And it always talks about how he's yelling at her and calling her crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Tom also has a mistress and her name is Myrtle. And, and early on in the book too, it talks about how he, um, essentially punched her in the face just for saying Daisy's name. Um, so he's physically abusive. He yells, um, he's emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nick has befriended his neighbor, Mr. Jay Gatsby, yes. who coincidentally, um, had been with Daisy previously, mm-hmm. um, but was in the military and left and he has been in love with her ever since and mm-hmm. wants her back. Yes. And, you know, they reconnect and as the story is being narrated, like you are under the impression that, you know, they're still in love with each other. Yep. Um, Jay Gatsby is asking Daisy to leave Tom and be with him, and, and he's going to do all these amazing things for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ends up where Nick and Daisy and Tom and Gatsby are all together, and mm-hmm. Tom figures out pretty quickly, like, hey, there's something going on between my wife and this guy. Yeah. Um, and so Tom confronts Daisy and Gatsby, and... Um, Daisy's like, no, 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 Tom, like, I love you, I want to be with you, which, you know, some people can make the argument that Daisy never really loved Gatsby. I think that she did and was just afraid to leave an abusive um, mm. relationship, because that's pretty common. There's there's a lot of questions of why don't people just leave if they're in a, right. an abusive relationship? And you talked about this a little bit previously, but, like, it comes down to, like, fear of mm-hmm. what am I going to do without this person? Yep. Um believing that the abuse is normal, um, some type of embarrassment or shame or low self-esteem or actual feelings of love they don't want to walk away from or lack of money or resources. Yep. Um, those are just some of the examples that, you know, are w- proven as to why people don't walk away from abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. But Tom is like, nope, you've made your choice. Go be with Gatsby. And yeah. then Gatsby and Daisy have to leave and they run off in this car and you know daisy ends up driving and accidentally 
killing Tom Smith's first Myrtle, which is just a, such an interesting, unfortunate period of events. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the the husband of Myrtle thinks that Gatsby did it because he just saw the yellow car. And mm-hmm. in the end, Daisy ends up going away with Tom and um, Myrtle's husband, George, ends up shooting Gatsby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I think that in The Great Gatsby, you can see a lot of the power and control um, yeah. that Tom had over people mm-hmm. um, by like, not as much isolating Daisy, but in a, in a sense, she like could mm-hmm. never go anywhere without other people right. that he approved of. Um, the emotional abuse, the mm-hmm. threats. Um, it talked about how he was just a very intimidating person to everyone. Like they yeah. talked about him just like being very brute in mm-hmm. his nature, brutish. Um, mm-hmm. And then like the economic abuse, like he had so much money um, that right. he was able to control the finances. And it's the 1920s, yeah. so of course the women had no control of the finances. Right. And the only other character who we see who isn't the only other female we see in the book who isn't tied down to anyone is Daisy's friend of Jordan, mm-hmm. who is a and she she's in the book for maybe like a third of it. Yeah, shows up. We know that she's a golfer. Yes, a, like a professional golfer, mm-hmm. um, and she maybe maybe doesn't have a thing for Nick, and then. Is gone. And we never hear from her again. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think about that often. Yeah, and then we never hear from her. Yeah. And, um, but she's one of the few friends who sticks around with Daisy. Mm-hmm. But then after the accident, we never see her again. Yeah, all right. It's interesting. Just something to think about. Yes. I saw the, the list we have written out here. Um, and you have a little character. I was like, there's someone missing. Yeah, it's, Jordan. It's yeah, because after she disappears, I kind of forget about her. Yeah, but anyway, so we yes. we've covered TV, yep. and books, mm-hmm. and uh, something that uh, another thing that you and I have in common, yes. that we both enjoy is uh, Broadway musicals. Yes. However, yes. you are much more knowledgeable about them than <laughs> I am. I know that we talked a little bit about both of the ones that we wanted to discuss today, mm-hmm. um, but why don't you fill us in a little bit more about? Can do. Domestic violence and Broadway musicals. Sure. Um, so there are two musicals I want to talk about today, which mm-hmm. are on the like the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start with the campy side of Broadway and end in the dramatic side of Broadway. Okay. Um, so we will start in the 1980s mm-hmm. with uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which if you've never seen the show, um, can be summed up as... Uh, a evil Venus flytrap alien question mark <laughs> comes to Earth, takes and then basically takes over the planet by seducing, by basically promising this young man all the riches of the world and promising him love and fame, and then eats him. Yes, so. that is you know, but that is. Not the abuse we're talking about there of plant and human abuse. Right. Every time someone talks about Little Shop of Horrors, I haven't seen it in years, but mm-hmm. all I can think of is that Venus flytrap saying, yeah. feed me, Seymour. Yeah. That's, that's all I can think about. It's it's a weird show. Um, there's a whole history to that show that I could tell you all about, but it doesn't relate to this topic here. Um, but within the show, there's a character of Audrey who works at the florist shop with our main uh, male protagonist, uh, Seymour. 
Um, and Audrey is a, you know, very kind, sweethearted, just very pure of heart character um, who at the beginning of the show is in a horribly abusive relationship with um, a, a, basically a sadistic dentist <laughs> um, who enjoys pain, enjoys inflicting pain. There's a whole song called Dentist! Exclamation point. Um, that talks about how he became a dentist to hurt things. You have me so excited to go see my dentist in November. (laughs) I, fair enough. Um, understandable. Um, but the relationship that we see between Audrey and the dentist, we only see them together in maybe two scenes, but throughout most of the first act, the show opens with Audrey having a black eye. Mm -hmm. And then the next scene we see her arm in a sling. And then we actually see her and the dentist together and they're going out on a date night. And actually this is the song that you alluded to earlier of Feed Me, mm-hmm. um, where the plant tells Seymour, you know, hey, if you could just like go kill someone, that'd be awesome. And I could eat them. <laughs> and because, you know, I need blood, yada, yada. Right, right. You know, typical Venus flytrap stuff. Yeah. Um, and Seymour says, I don't know anyone who's deserving of being killed. And then we cut to the dentist and Audrey coming back from their date because Audrey forgot her sweater. Um, and we see her, like, she runs into her apartment, at least in the movie version, um, the dentist played by Steve Martin in mm-hmm. his most terrifying role, um, follows in after her and we just see their shadows, but we see him, like, grab her in a very forceful manner and then we see her him smack her across the face. And I hadn't seen the movie in a few years. I actually rewatched it um, a few weeks ago with a friend of mine and we were watching that one particular scene and we both kind of sat in silence for a moment Mm -hmm. of just like, okay, so it's a really weird scene because we have this plant singing to this guy. Right. But then also this very, at times over the top, but also very realistic portrayal of domestic abuse just happening and like minutes before we're laughing and having a good time and then we try to take a step back and be like wow yeah and the the unfortunate thing about it that i think just emphasizes our point that it gets normalized or like pushed to the side or it's appreciated for part of the art is mm-hmm. that the the show is lighthearted and like secretly evil yeah and they have a singing plant going on whilst you know the the abuse is happening to minimize it or distract you from it like it would Mm -hmm. have a very different impact on an audience Mm -hmm. if there wasn't a singing plant yeah so they're using comedy to like downplay the fact that they're showcasing Mm -hmm. domestic violence so if it's not even being taken seriously in this form of art why should people take it seriously in real life you know right and a whole other thing that actually i'm thinking about right now as we're recording this is there's so, keep it very brief, because mm-hmm. when I stay on topic, the history of this musical is very odd. In, like, 1957, a movie was made called Little Shop of Horrors. It was all based on a bet two directors had of, you can't make a movie in a week. And one of them did. Wow. And the original one is just so bad. Mm-hmm. But the character of Audrey does not exist in the original movie. 
nor does well the dentist does exist but he's only in one scene mm-hmm. um but the character of audrey does not exist so when they remade the when they turned that horrible garbage movie into a really well done musical they added a character who for the first whole whole first act is part of an abusive relationship Mm-hmm. Which, as I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, why would you do that to a... It's interesting. Just... Sorry, I'm an external processor. I'm just kind of thinking, like, huh, interesting. It's okay. Anyway. Thoughts for another podcast. Yes. Um, so, that was the campy side of Broadway. Mm-hmm. And now we will slide on down the scale to the dramatic side of Broadway and tackle 2015's Waitress. Um... And Waitress is another musical based off of a movie mm-hmm. of the same name. Um, the original movie came out in 2007, and it was um, very. It was a very small indie film, but what was unique is it was a pretty much strictly all-female production crew, um, which was kind of why it kind of made waves when it did in 2007. And then the musical was written by Sarah Bareilles and also produced by an all-female production crew. Hmm. Um, but the, the main musical, or the plot is there's this waitress named Jenna who is living in Southern town, (laughs) somewhere in the South. (laughs) Um, and she is a waitress at a small diner and she's very passionate about baking pies. Her mother taught her how to bake pies. So this is what she does in her free time. It's her hobby. Um, and she bakes all the pies for the restaurant. Um, but the very beginning of the show were hinted at that, oh, she's in, an, a, she's in an unhappy marriage. We don't know to the extent of, like, is she just unhappy? Is she being abused? And then halfway through the first act, we find out that she is pregnant Ooh. with her husband's child. Plot twist. Um, and initially, her thought is, I don't like my husband. So... I don't want to have this child. Mm-hmm. I want to have an abortion because it will only remind me of him. And when she goes home from work that day where she took the pregnancy test, um, her husband says to her, I'm fine with you having the child, but you have to promise me you won't love the child more than you love me. Which is setting off red flags immediately. Um, and this is the basic plot. There's also a, an affair she has with her OBGYN, um, which is just a very interesting side plot where we find out that even he has a wife, which we don't know about until the end of the second act. Whole thing. Really fun show. Um, I say as it's a very dark um, context, but in the end of the show, um, as she is taken to the hospital to deliver the child, her husband is not there initially. Um, he shows up later after going to get drinks with her, his friends. Okay. Um, on the way into the hospital, she sees the owner of the diner, who was this older man, like 70s, 80s. Um, he's also in the hospital, but he hands her a, an envelope, like, as they pass, like, in separate hospital beds. Okay. Um, and she delivers the child, and then someone opens up the letter that was given to her, and basically the owner was dying... And left in his will the entire restaurant to Jenna. 
And now with all this money she's inherited, she has the child. The husband comes in and says, remember, don't love that child more than you love me. And she looks up at him and says, I want a divorce. What a power move. And the end of the show, the final song is a reprise of the first song called Opening Up, Mm -hmm. uh, where it's everyone coming to work that day. Um, And the diner has been renamed Lulu's Diner, Lulu being Jenna's daughter. And we see, it's very sweet, anytime there are kids in Broadway, it's just adorable. (laughs) little four-year-old girl comes running out with the whole cast. And basically, it's kind of like revenge is the best form of success Mm -hmm. embodied in the best way possible. Where she has the child, loves it way more than she ever loved her husband, divorces, and is a successful small business owner. Wow. Well, so, so, and then, I'm pretty sure out of all the ones that we've talked about, that's the only one where someone that was a victim of abuse comes out, you know, as a survivor of abuse on the mm-hmm. other side and yeah. is making a name for herself and doing great things. I mean, I guess that applies to Joe from Grey's Anatomy, too. But this mm-hmm. one, I think, shows it um, in a much more empowering way yes. than in some of the other examples we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, especially comparing it to, you know, Game of Thrones, where... yes. Yes. Yeah. But it's definitely one of those shows where you leave feeling great about yourself and you feel like you can take on the world. Yeah. So, but also in a way that it, you know, kind of brings to light the, you know, ugliness of, I mean, as horrible domestic violence is. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Right. I think, I think that's a really good example for us to end on in a more lighthearted way, just kind of like the show itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But just a little bit of a recap. For folks listening. So we talked a little bit about um, signs of domestic abuse or mm-hmm. intimate partner violence yep. um, in Grey's Anatomy. We talked a little bit about the abusive cycle in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about power and control in The Great Gatsby and The Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly in Waitress too. Yes. So all of the stuff that we're talking about, this power and control wheel, the cycle of domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, signs of abusers, reasons why people don't leave, yeah. um, I'm going to put some citations in mm. uh, the episode description. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening, if you want to look more into what that research looks like, you mm-hmm. can have that information available to you. Um, we're also going to add in some citations about all the media that we talked about as well so that you can figure out how to access that, however mm-hmm. is most appropriate for you. Yeah. So, well, Adam, thank you so much for chatting with me today about pop culture. Of course. Always great to have you on the show. Maybe we'll see you for another episode sometime. Love to be back. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, there are ways to get help. Some resources that are offered on the University of Dayton's campus that are confidential are the Counseling Center, the Health Center, and any ordained ministry within campus ministry. There are additional resources that are non-confidential. These include the Equity Compliance Office, the Dean of Students Office, the Brooks Center, and Public Safety. For off-campus support, you can contact the Artemis Center. You can find more detailed information about all of the previously mentioned resources and support available to you in the description of